This is Amy from New Orleans. And just because I frequently comment on and post on the Dollamore Listener Discussion Group on Facebook, that does not mean that I listen to I Doubt It with Dollamore, because I don't on Sundays. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore. Good day, E-Fair citizens. Welcome to the show, episode 539. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore, joined by the lovely, the talented, and the scholarly Brittany Page, everybody. Also, the feeling better than you. Yeah. <laughs> you could say. <laughs> that was a dumb laugh. <laughs> uh, well, that's how you're feeling. Yeah, I don't feel well. I feel like fucking whatever is a good word for not good. Mm. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I got a headache right between my beady eyes and, Uh you know, just generally malaise Yeah. I think I know what it might be. I think it's because next week is your last week uh, of official jury duty. Yeah, that Um, is true. I say official because you happen to be on some big cases. And so they want to keep you around on the loop so that they can call you in for That's like right. another six months. Six months extension. But that doesn't mean that you'll be going there every week. There's okay. going to be another grand jury that will take your place. Yeah, they just don't want to have to readdress because they would have to present all the case, the stuff in the case. Right, that you guys have been hearing about and following. For, for months. All, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, that's true. But it's the last official week, meaning yeah. you won't have to go in every Wednesday for like Anymore. the full work day. <laughs> yeah, and it it uh it's a it's a schedule fucker. Yeah, well it's a full work day yeah. sometimes. Not all the time, but Yeah, well sometimes it's come in for an hour and that's I mean it's nice to not have to be in there the whole the whole the whole deal. But still, it's like ugh, couldn't come on. You can't stack up weeks and have it be 3 hours and have us have 3 weeks off. Yeah. I mean, I'm bitching about shit that's whatever. Anyway, you're super sad about it. Super sad. You know what I'm not sad about? Uh-huh. We booked our vacation. We did. To New Orleans. Yes. In November. Very excited. I actually Googled when does hurricane season end? <laughs> of course you did. Just to um, be prepared, I guess, even though it doesn't matter because it ends in November, November right. 30th. So, yeah, but you're at the end of because hurricanes deal with how warm the water is. Mm-hmm. And. By then, the water's starting to cool down, so they're 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 less likely. Yeah, it's yeah. not like right now. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. Anyway. I, I had a friend send me some stats from some hurricane organization to uh, ensure Assuage that assuage your your nervousness. Yeah, ensure that I am calm <laughs> and collected and ready for my trip. It's probably not going to help that much. I I don't feel nervous about it at all. I'm kind of well you not know, now. Come the last week of October, who knows what's going to happen? Well, I guess it depends on the news now, doesn't it? <laughs> well, if it's anything like this week, it won't be. It won't be great. Yes. And of course, we're thinking of everyone um, in the path of Dorian. 
Hurricane Dorian. For sure. Yeah. Which, which, by the way, avoided Puerto Rico, which is good. Yeah. So we are, we're planning a trip for, not planning, the trip's planned. We got the tickets booked and the everything, all that. Uh, if, if you know about New Orleans, if you've got some special places, well, we want to hear about them. Absolutely. Food, sightseeing, swamps, whatever it is that we need to see. Let us know. <laughs> I wouldn't mind. See, I've been to New Orleans several times, but it's mm-hmm. always been under the 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 auspices of being a debaucherous drinker, like as a as a young Marine. Yeah. I haven't been there. Like, I've been there as an adult, obviously, but not like a real adult. Yeah. Well, someone asked me, they were like, what's the point of going to New Orleans in November? Isn't that when, like, that's not when Mardi Gras is happening? And I said, I don't want to go when Mardi Gras is happening. Do you know me? What, what are you talking about? <laughs> Do I seem like the Mardi Gras type? I don't even like going to South Coast Plaza. There's too many people and they're not even drinking there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so what are you talking about? A lot of them do have their tits out, though. Well, it is Orange County, after all. That doesn't... Oh, okay. Uh, you're right. That, I've just drawn parallels, Brittany That Page. reference was not, um, like, global, right? I'm not, like, oh, yeah, that giving is kind a of global a local. reference. Yeah. That's the fancy schmancy mall. Yeah. Well, part of it is fancy, and then the other part is normal. Normal. Anyway. Yeah. Um, send us your, your recommends, your, your favorites, especially mm-hmm. if you live in the area. Yes. And you know some... Solid spots that aren't touristy. Yes. Good fried oysters. Yeah, we're going to do some... We're, oh, yeah, I almost said oysters. We're going to do some touristy shit. Uh-huh. But certainly, you know, we're going to be staying in the, the Irish district or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to... We're going to have access to some, you know, non-French Quarter bullshit. Yes. We want to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway. We should also give an update on Popeye while we're giving all these updates. Um, he got his staples out. Of his eye. Popeye, the bulldog. Yeah, the, the producer the, of the show. The mascot. Oh, producer. He got promoted, huh? Well, we need to have consistent branding because <laughs> <laughs> on one thing it says producer, on the other thing it says mascot. Anyway, um, he got his staples out. He did very well. Um, got them ripped out of his face and he Was handled sho- it like a champ. Shockingly not bothered yeah. by having her with needle nose pliers or whatever. Yes. Yeah. It was a very specialized piece of equipment that she used to get right. him out. Yeah. But I had to get down there and kind of reassure him that he wasn't going to run away. Yeah. But his eye is doing so much better and he can see out of at least one of his eyes again. So. And the other one's getting pretty goddamn good. Yeah. I mean, it's all relative because it's still a shitty cloud storm. Right. Well, he's going to need um, cream in his eye once a day for life and then drops in his eye once a day for life. So he's pretty much just uh, barely hanging on. And... <laughs> I'm kidding. He's in fine health. Um, so but he, for those of you who, who were concerned. Yes, he is just high maintenance. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, speaking of those who were concerned, let's we, we let's take some calls yes, from the listeners. Absolutely. This isn't Popeye the Bulldog related. However, Laura in New York is our resident vet tech. And mm-hmm. she called in because over the course of the past three episodes or so, we've had kind of an arc about how if you're not a Trump person how do you deal with trump types especially related to in your family and uh that is continuing it's just we're rolling right along with stories and advice and just different takes on that topic 
Hi, Brittany. Hi, Jesse. It's Laura from Buffalo. Uh, you probably knew I was going to call in to comment on the having relationships with family members who have abhorrent views. Um, and yeah, I had an experience this weekend uh, with my father. Uh, I uh, met my parents halfway in Pennsylvania for a couple days at a cabin. It's something we used to do when I was younger. And, um, you know, my father is a conservative white man, and he has terrible views on a lot of things. Um, and I really didn't think this before, uh, but I do think this now, especially after this weekend, where for the first time ever, I actually heard my dad admit that white privilege was a real thing. And I almost fell off my chair. Uh, you know, he didn't do it willingly or even right out in the words that I would like him to, but he did say, well, some of that stuff is true. And I've heard him, you know, say, you know, just some of his views morph a little bit over these past few years seeing his children have different views than he does. Now, my brother likes to tote libertarianism like it's the answer to everyone's problems. Um, he's younger than I am, and he's also a white man, and he just has a different view of the world. Um, and I just wanted to say that I agree with you guys, Jesse and Brittany, that cutting people off immediately is not always the answer. And it just can't be. Um, if I didn't have a relationship with my father and my brother, I don't know what I would do. I am so incredibly privileged and lucky to have a good relationship. Not even just a good relationship. A very special, special relationship with my parents and my brother. I will be depressed for days just because I left my parents after being with them for a couple of days. And that's because even though my father holds some terrible views, my father is a wonderful father and has always been a wonderful father. And I am a product of my father raising me. And obviously my mother too. I have wonderful parents, but you know, he still instilled in me good values and kindness to people and, you know, love. And I, I you know, he may not, you know, hold as much empathy as I would like him to, and he may not be able to put himself in other people's shoes the same way I am or my mother is. And I believe that is a product of the time he was raised in and his white male privilege. But there are a lot of things about him that are just incredible, and he's my dad. I mean, I, I don't know. Um, so, you know, my advice is to always, it's, it is individual. It's very individual. And to just always remain the level headed one when you're having these conversations and to just remember that you are just able to reach a little bit further and deeper. And that's the way that I've been able to deal with it. And also I have set boundaries. You have to set boundaries. 
you, you have to about the conversations and I've stood up for myself and I have seen a change in my father and my brother because of how strong I am about those boundaries. This is getting too long. I love you guys. Congratulations on a hundred K Jesse. Brittany's the best part. Bye. So I think that the boundaries thing. Love the show. Brittany's the best part. Oh, I was wondering what you were doing. I had to find it. (laughs) Um, That the boundaries thing is the most important part of that, right? Um, When we have these relationships that can become strained very quickly um, from disagreements, it's important to figure out which behaviors am I not willing to tolerate and which am I willing to tolerate and then go from there, right? Um, I am happy to hear that Laura, um, has done some work on her dad and, um, is finally having him kind of see her perspective, right? She said that he didn't use the words that she would like, but that he's, he's getting the message, you know? And that's where it starts. Yeah. And I think a lot of people who take the stance that we should just cut everybody off all the time, um, I just, I wonder what that says about their belief in people's ability to change, right? Um, and I believe people can change, right? And, and maybe that's just hopeful, me being, um, <laughs> optimistic, which is rare. Um, <laughs> but I, I do. I believe that people can change and it takes a lot. It's uh, not universal though. It's for sure not universal. It's individual. That's why it's not like you should never cut anyone off or you should cut everyone off. It's you have to make an assessment. Yeah. Case by case, person by person, incident by incident. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that that some of that I feel I feel like I feel like some of that's getting lost in the wash here as we talk about this Mm -hmm. because we're not talking about absolutes. Yeah. This isn't if this, then that. It's you got to, you know, you, you got to run the whole circumstance in your head and balance it against all of the experiences with that person. Well, and that's why we started in our response to Jason saying that, right? Jason, yeah. who kind of sparked this conversation from the start, that number one, it's difficult for us to answer that question because of our own personal circumstances. But two... It's just difficult to answer the question without knowing so many different factors that could be at play. Yeah. So I agree with that. And with that said, let's read an email. Okay. Hello, beautiful humans. It's Wayne. He says, brava drop. Brava. From England here. I'd like to comment on Jason's predicament with his Trump fan racist family members. The ting is... I'm going to read it like how he wrote it. Do those... Did Jason describe them as racist? I don't remember. I don't remember that either. I I just don't want that out there if that's not the case. He very well could have. And Wayne could be right. I mean, Wayne's Wayne, after all. Brava! Do those people mean a lit to you? Are they too far gone that your presence and influence will be wasted? For me, as a mixed-race guy in a predominantly white country, I have to deal with racists daily. But if I took the Jesse D option, I'd not get anywhere in life. Jesse, you spoke of retreating to your corner when met with a racist. So how the fucking hell are they going to know there is another way to act with regard to the other 
they might encounter. If anything, you are reinforcing their beliefs if you shun them and don't engage in a dialogue. Take a four-cornered room and pick your spot and stay there. You'll never know what the other corners are saying until you step into the middle and converse. Yes, some people are trash, but to establish that, you need to break bread. In that bread-breaking encounter, you might change a mind. You might show someone that has lived a sheltered life that there is another way. Be the black man telling Ed Norton's character in American History X all of the jokes whilst doing laundry in prison. One of the most powerful scenes in all of film, for me, was when Ed Norton's character finally broke and collapsed in laughter. Let's all be that man. Hold the door open for anyone to step through. Slamming it in their face creates an adversary. Popeye is the best part. And he says, farty little, um, you know. Cunt. <laughs> yeah. That's what he said. Yeah. All right. That's what he said. Well, it's way from the UK. Uh-huh. So. Term of endearment. Let me, first of all, there's a lot... It, again, with the movie scene, which is not real life, it's a fictional tale of something that happened. I understand the metaphor that it, it that it, it it tries to describe, but how is it? How in the fiddle and fuck does me shunning a racist? How does white Jesse Dollimore shunning a racist reinforce? Like oh. I could have changed my mind that I'm superior to people who are black. But now that Jesse won't have dinner with me, it reinforces what I think. I think it just as strongly, if not more, because Jesse won't have a drink with me. That's fucking nonsense, first of all. Second, like I like to do, let's get on the ground with this. It's easy to write an email and talk in platitudes, how does it actually physically work on the ground? Hey, we're going out to dinner and have some some wings and some beers at the place. Hey, Nazi Joe, you want to tag along? What? I'm going to be in public with a racist. Who knows what the racist is going to do or say to people in my in-group who may be people of color? who may be uh, in service jobs while we're out. How does that work? And why is it my obligation when I'm not wired that way? Why is it my obligation to do so? I just don't get that, Wayne. Yeah, I think Wayne's general point is the engagement piece. I don't think it's necessarily... Um, inviting a Nazi to have dinner. Well, I, know, I didn't know how to say race. I could, I could have just said racist Joe or whatever. But, you know, someone who holds pernicious, uh, vicious beliefs about race. Yeah, I think that you will find those people um, and they don't look like Nazis and they don't um, sound like Nazis. And then all of a sudden they start saying things and you're like, oh, uh oh. <laughs> what do we have on our hands here? Yeah. Sounds like we have a racist. Um, it's more of those instances, I think. Um, and, and I don't want to speak for Wayne, but if I could try to extrapolate the meaning of his email, I think it's more in those moments when you hear little comments that if you can, as a white person, um, address them. 
right? Or, of course or try I will. to continue to to Absol- have an influence in some way. Absolutely. Um, because it certainly shouldn't be up to people of color to try to negotiate with racists. Um, if if that's what he means, that if you happen to be out and then one of your friends their racist tendencies or beliefs raise their ugly head and they start saying something, whether it be about low birth rates and white genocide, of course I'm going to address it. I'm not going to harumph and storm out of the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, yeah. Well, and that's kind of been the context of this conversation. Though. But I might not hang out with him again. Right. And that's kind of been the context of this conversation is the family members, right? So yeah. if, if it's people that you're regularly around or you're regularly expected to be around and this stuff starts coming up, what is the obligation on the part of just people that are in their circle to push back on this stuff, to attempt to address it. And it sounds like Wayne is saying, like, it is your responsibility. Yeah, listen, again, there's so many moving parts to this that I just don't know, because these kind of things don't happen in real life circles around a dinner table with me there. Because if they happened, that means I'm not doing a very good job of letting them know that's fucking unacceptable territory to start verging into when I'm at the table because you might get knocked the fuck out. So I, I just I don't see that ever happening because I'm clear it's delineated. Nope. So that would be avoided or they just wouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But still, again, certain people are wired a certain way. Some people have the patience. They've been gifted with it. They've been somehow societally programmed to have patience to deal with these types of things. Bigotry. I'm not. I am not. And that's not some strength of mine. That is absolutely a flaw. But I am what I am. Speaking of Popeye. I am what I am. I'm wired the way I am. Listen, Brittany and I were at a bar a few days ago. A beer, a brewery, having a sandwich and a beer. And we're on the corner of the table. And this conversation isn't, isn't, doesn't have anything to do with racism, but we met these two guys who were pilots. Mm-hmm. And they were out before the next day when they flew out of Orange County, out, out of John Wayne. Mm-hmm. And we started talking, and they were two Trump supporters. Yeah. I didn't get up and storm out of there, but there was a moment <laughs> where the fiery... The shitty Jesse, the the un, I don't want to say unhinged, but I got a little, the guy voiced something that I think is a, a silly idea. And I said, well, that, that's just fucking stupid. That's stupid. And he, ah, he got really mad. Like it, one would yeah, when, they are, when their idea or belief is called stupid. Well, that's my opinion. You can't say it's stupid. I go, no, no, you're right. Ah, you're right. So I wasn't trying to offend him or be aggressive. It's just the way... I'm poorly wired. And I backed it down and said, no, 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 you're right. I just, it it was simplistic. I believe that how you're thinking of that is simplistic. So I'm not bragging about, yeah, fucking cut him off. I know it's a foible. Anyway. But I would also say. We're just just here again. It's the same place we were however many months ago when we talked about this. That story, though, doesn't illustrate to me. I am, I'm, this is who I am. It illustrates to me that. In that moment, you knew, oh, shit, this isn't the way to have a productive yeah, conversation. Sure. And you caught yourself. You apologized. Uh, you made up with him. And we continued to talk to them for like an hour. 
So, and, yeah. and we had a great time having a conversation with them. I got like very deep into details about my life that I don't normally share with people. Um, I details you haven't shared on the show. Yeah. And, <laughs> but I was, I was very motivated at this time to talk to these two guys because they seemed like very empathetic, compassionate people. And so one more than the other. Yeah. Yes. That's, that's fair. <laughs> Um, but, but yeah, it wasn't a situation where as soon as we discovered there were differences here, um, that we turned our stools away and turned our backs. We continued to engage and it, listen, it probably didn't go anywhere. No one's minds were changed. Yeah. Well, we're also not talking about racism. Yeah. But it was hatred for homeless people and, and people who suffer from substance use and abuse. I think hatred is a little bit of a stretch. It was aggression. A little stretchy. Yeah, yeah, aggression. for sure. A complete lack of empathy whatsoever. Yeah, a lack of in ignorance, a lack of yeah. education and understanding, and, yeah. uh, which led to like aggressive feelings about the population, <laughs> yeah, which sure. is n- not good. But there was also a moment where I got a little testy, and I started talking about my feelings about rich people. <laughs> <laughs> And um, one of the guys stopped me and was like, listen, what I'm hearing from you right now does not line up with the way that you've been talking this whole time. Like your your heart is better than what you just said. You're talking about the Nashville guy. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, oh, shit, you're right. I'm getting a little excited, you know. <laughs> so it, it happens to the best of us, right? Oh, you're the best of us. Is that what you're saying? No. How no. fucking dare you? No. How dare you, sir? Yeah, I'm just saying we get caught up in... I mean, these are important issues, especially when it's tied to your personal identity, um, things that you have endured, um, you know, characteristics that, yeah. that belong to the people that you love the most, whatever it might be. These are intense things to talk about with people that you disagree, but doing it in a in a way that could change hearts and minds is really what matters. Um, and on that note, we have another awesome email to read. I mean, it's less awesome than Wayne's. But- and anyway, Wayne, thank you. You know, we love you, brother. I just, uh, <laughs> you know, it just it's hard to do a podcast. This is a little message, a little a little PSA between me and me and Wayne. Uh, it's hard to do a podcast when you have people calling in and writing in from foreign countries who just don't know what they're fucking talking about. It's really, really difficult. So try harder. All right. Try harder. So so we have an anonymous email here to read. This is from Anonymous. Oh, wait. It's Anonymous? Anonymous. And their name? We can't say what their name is. All right. That's enough. Oh, that was terrible. Uh, I'm sorry, everybody. Can you get better soon? Like real quick, please. I got a glass of whiskey in front of me. We'll see what happens. That's not going to help. That's not medicine. I have a fairly distant relationship with my family, and it has been a long process for me to reach acceptance that my family and I would never come to see eye to eye. One of the things that has helped me the most is being very deliberate about what I hope slash expect to achieve each time I see them. For example, it is unrealistic that they will ever really accept me as I am. After all, in their world, I am on my way to hell, have the wrong political beliefs, and have generally chosen to live my life in a way which is incomprehensible for them. Their life choices are incomprehensible for me. So we will never see eye to eye. I used to hope against all odds every time and get angry and hurt and disappointed. 
but I have found that sometimes I feel a need to keep my distance, and other times I feel a need to see them, especially because my sibling has children, and I want them to know that I exist and have chosen a different life. Perhaps one day one of them will make a similar choice, perhaps not, who knows, it will be their choice. So anyway, my advice is to be deliberate and ask yourself ahead of time why you feel the need to see them. Do you want to see them? Or do you feel guilty if you don't? Do you have realistic expectations? What does a good or successful visit with family look like? Is there anything you can do to better the visit? Change the scenery, meeting places, so you're on neutral turf. Avoid holidays. Make clear boundaries. When my parents say something they think is completely non-controversial and I think is absolutely batshit crazy, I've started just saying matter of fact like that we're not quite in agreement on that point and they've accepted that we just skip on to something else. It took about 20 years to get there and still doesn't always work perfect, perfect, but we try. Don't stay in the same house or don't stay as long so you don't get as much on each other's nerves, etc. A break from each other is okay too. It doesn't have to be either you cut them off or you have to put up with everything. If you need a couple of years off or if you get along talking on the phone but not in person, that's okay too. Hope this helps someone. Those are all awesome. I mean, that's really, that is an email directly for Jason. Yeah. Those are legitimate, hard, hard strategies that you can employ in your life with your relationships with your family to possibly make a difference. That's not just pie in the sky, like I, you know, platitudes like I talk about. That's, that's functional shit right there. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Anonymous. I'm sure, um, Jason, if he hasn't already uh, employed some of those strategies, uh, could, and that would be great. I particularly like the line about what does a successful family visit look like? Yeah. Um, and that's uh, a therapy question that I use a lot where I say, what, what does, whatever look like, right? Where I try to get a picture from the client. Um, so you're not just spinning your wheels toward no destination. You know what ultimately you you think it would look like. Yeah, so you know kind of what you're looking for, yeah, right? Yeah. And you can kind of envision in advance what you want and what you don't want, you know? And that makes it easier when shit goes down to remove yourself from the situation or like the anonymous emailer wrote... Uh, I don't quite agree with that. Hey, everybody, remember what we talked about? When I would say that, that means we move on, okay? Yeah, yeah. Like having phrases or words that people understand mean move along, we're done here. Yeah. You know, coming to some sort of agreement, whatever it might be, you know? Well, this is, and again, this is a difference that every family is going to be different because your starting point, let's say this coming Thanksgiving, that's your starting point of wanting wanting it to be better. yeah. It's different for person X because they have a completely different past history with those people. Mm -hmm. We don't know what kind of baggage is coming into that starting point of Thanksgiving mm -hmm. than somebody else who might have been abused or had all kinds of crazy shit going on in their lives prior to that point. So their fuse is shorter. Yeah. Their threshold for fucking bullshit is a lot less than the person who, you know, just grew up in a fundamentalist religious household. And, uh, you know, didn't really experience some of the craziness. Yeah. So anyway, I, I just, again, I want to, I really want to drive that home that what worked for somebody might not work for you. You need to do what's best for you relative to your mental fucking health. Uh, we're, we've got a, a couple more calls. 
Maybe an email. I don't know. But before we get there, let's take a little break. Support for I Doubt It with Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like you by way of Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month helps keep the show going and move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you would like to join the ever-growing family of supporters, please visit patreon.com slash idoubtitwithdollamore. We have two new Patreon supporters. Yes! Steven. Steven! And Not That Guy. Not That Guy. Thanks, Not That Guy. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think he's that guy. He's not. That's just what I... That's the message. Definitely not. My jokes are really hilarious today. Well, you're not feeling Very field-filled... They're not even filled. They're definitely filled. You know, I wonder if, if if people went back through the catalog of shows. No, you don't have to do that. Well, don't do it. But um, I'm just wondering. It's a thought experiment. If people were to go back through the the catalog of shows, how many times we've missed a full week? Number one. Oh, very rarely. And how many? This is one of them, by the way. Oh, you mean not not even done one show? Right. Oh, I I think it happened one time. Or how many times we have done one show in a week? That has happened in five years. I think it's probably happened five times. Because I feel like two episodes a week is such a part of my life now. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like it's just a thing that happens. Yeah. So I wonder how many times it's it's not happened. I don't think it's a lot. I think it's probably around five. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it could be more. Like six, maybe seven. Yeah. Maybe eight. But no fucking way it's ten times so, that we've missed two episodes. What I hear... Or missed it, an episode in a week. What I hear all the listeners saying right now in unison as they're listening to this is, guys, take a fucking vacation. Right? <laughs> We're not doing shows on the road. Take a break. Yeah, you for know the what love I, of God. You know what? You know what I hear him saying. You're a fucking doctor, bro. Oh God, that's what I hear him saying. <laughs> that was requested. Yeah, it was. That was a requested drop. So I, I don't know when else that will come in handy. But you're a fucking doctor, bro. It's gonna come in handy a lot. Oh, I hope people know that's ironic. An is ironic he, use. Is he fucking listening to himself right now? Yeah, I got used a to, lot of them. I used to not use profanity on the show. <laughs> I'm not prepared! And then I just started to be who I am, you guys. You're the boss. You're oh, the please. boss. Get rid of that one. <laughs> I don't say that to anybody. I need to get my own Britney board. Yes, you do. Yeah. We should each have our own board with all of our little... Well, now that, now that we're set up again in a studio, like, mm-hmm. a, a, like a static thing that's going to be staying this way, Yeah. I need to get you some way that you can... You can click a button and play a sound. That's a good time. Are you yawning? Am I boring you? No, that's not why people yawn. Ugh. Are you sure? Yeah, come on. Come huh. on. All right, shall we move on? Um, yes, we should absolutely move on. So, as part of this, we, we did have people call in. Christopher, for instance, we're going to play this call right here, with just kind of a story of something that happened to him and how he dealt with a Trump uh, family f- slash friend. Um, basically, I have a friend, a very, very close friend, who I had known since childhood, and we actually lived together, and I regarded this man as a brother, like a legitimate brother. We have even lived under the same household as my godmother because my, my parents couldn't take care of me, and my godmother took care of both of us, and he, though he's not biologically related to me, he comes from a different household, whose parents couldn't support him either. 
So both of us had very similar upbringings in that regard. Now, he's become a very strong Trump supporter since 2016. And uh, my godmother, who is very liberal and very big Obama supporter, uh, found natural conflict within each other as time went on. So at a certain point, things kind of went to a head in 2016 where eventually because he, he's become so radicalized, we've been led genocide and all these other things, he, um, he threatened her, you know, sending her to death threats, essentially saying that, you know, she's helping the enemy and stuff like that. And that, you know, she is, you know, she's the problem with this country, all that kind of stuff. And she got very scared. She eventually asked me about, you know, what she should do. And it became very clear that both of us needed to put distance between them. Now, I had a very difficult time putting distance between them because this is a guy who, him and I, we grew up together. Not only did we grow up together, but we were very close. We spent a lot of time together. We looked at each other's friends and family. So <clears throat> we found ourselves in this kind of crossroads where... After I received uh, the news about how he was treating my godmother, I had to kind of, uh, I gave it time to see if he would apologize and recognize if he would identify what he did was wrong. He did not. And um, four years had passed, and then he finally sent me an invitation that he was getting married. I had a difficulty trying to come to terms with this. But I did find out about six months prior to that invitation, he did apologize to my godmother about what he said to her and recognized it as wrong. So the wedding uh, was going to happen, so I decided to um, show up. I decided to show up because after the apology, I figured, you know what, we can find a bit of common ground. Um, that said, you know, I was still struggling with the idea of it. Um, though I had showed up, I participated in this wedding. Um, I congratulated them both. Um... I had to come to the terms that things will never be the same as they are. This is what he, the decisions that he had made had not just changed the way I perceive him and see him. They may not have changed how I feel about him. I still love him as a family member, but I, I don't see him as the same kind of guy that I grew up with, and I had to just accept this. Um, it's, not the, it's, not the, it's not a solution that fixes the problem, but I can't fix someone else. That's why I had to come to terms with and just kind of, move on from that. I'm probably not going to see him on a regular basis in my life. I probably won't even see him for another six months, maybe even longer. But keeping him out of my life in that regard was better for me. So I figured I'd just chime in my story a little bit. Thank you guys for listening. Um, and Jesse and Brittany, you guys are the best part. Bye. So this is a, this is a perfect example mm-hmm. of the different wiring that we, we have. Mm-hmm. Christopher mm-hmm. is willing to let go because this person apologized for a fucking death threat. He threatened the godmother with death. And Christopher's like, well, I might not see him in six months, or maybe even longer. That, that's, that wouldn't be an option for me. Mm-hmm. Christopher, far more patient. If I was given advice, I'd say, this guy is a cancer who needs to be cut out of your life because he's fucking dangerous and unhinged. Mm-hmm. That's if I was given advice. I'm not given advice. But it just shows there's a threshold that each one of us has. A level of patience based on that social wiring. And he clearly has something I don't have. Got to keep that in mind. Yeah, well, and it, it also goes back to the case-by-case basis thing, you yeah. know? 
Um, maybe there's other factors that Chris didn't talk about that played a role in that decision. Um, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's tough to sort this stuff out. Yeah, for sure it's difficult, especially in the age of Trump. It's become more complex. It's become more, um, just difficult to fucking navigate. Anyway, thanks for the call, Christopher. We appreciate it. Let's move on. Hello, this is uh, Aaron from uh, Kentucky. Yes, the great state of Moscow, Mitch. Um, I am calling, um, I have listened to, because um, I've listened to quite a few. I'm not an avid listener to your program. How dare you, sir? uh, (laughs) Someone who listens to it every time, but I do subscribe to you on YouTube, and I do listen to your podcast. Quite often I work third shift. So at night, I try to find things to do, and your podcasts are great to pass the time. But I am calling um, in regard. Hang on. <laughs> we got to stop it there, Was that right? like 45 seconds of explaining why he's calling? No, no. It's 45 seconds of explaining why that, eh, you know, your show's meh. It's okay. I mean, it's not It's not one to catch every episode of. Yeah, kind of pass know, the time. When YouTube's on every once in a while, I see your fucking face flapping its gums, and I hear a sound coming out of them. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, you know I'm just going to call in. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm at work, feeling bored, you know. It's great to pass the time. <laughs> it's like a white it's like a white noise machine. It's like yeah. listening to the ocean or fucking seagull squawk. That's what your voices sound like to me. Yep. <laughs> I'm teasing you, Aaron. I'm teasing. Aaron continues. To um uh the past few um podcasts regarding uh cutting people off. Or what do you do with family members or those who are Trump supporters? Um, as I was listening to Marissa talk, um, not positive, I believe she said uh, she was transgender. Uh, I am a gay man, and I do live down here in the South, so it is a little bit uh, tough at times. Um, but as a child, it was even rougher. And I, fr- coming from her standpoint, um, we're kind of used to that. Number one, mainly because our family members cut their lives off from us and because um, they didn't want anything to do with us as long as, you know, we uh, said we were going to be gay, you know, as if it was a choice. Um, but I and I have family members now who are Trump supporters. To me, it boils down to this one, number one, boundaries. And number two, if it's going to be healthy for me, healthy uh, mentally, uh, sociably. Uh, I, I have no problems with connecting or talking with people from the other side. Uh, but if they do not respect my boundaries and if they are going to continue to try to hurt me, uh, mentally, uh, then it's time to cut them off. I have grieved over losing many people because they just wouldn't shut up about uh, what they thought was right or what they thought was godly or what they thought was Christian and how I needed to do that or I was going to burn. Um, so that's how I come to the decision on whether I'm going to cut someone off is do they respect boundary, my boundary? And two, um, you know, are, are they going to hurt me in any way, shape, form or fashion? So, um, that's all I have for now. And hopefully, um, 
I'll find some other reason to call in again. Thanks. And Brittany's the best part. <laughs> Bye. Love the show. Brittany's the best part. Bye. It's not a total wash. <laughs> no, I'm teasing. No, there's some good stuff there. Absolutely. This, this again, I like fucking people who, meaning fucking people who do this I like. I don't like to fuck people who do this. Okay. <laughs> Important clarification. Yeah, I like people who actually put together like a a defined strategy yeah. around these types of things. Yeah. And Aaron did that here. Setting boundaries. Is it going to be healthy for me? Are they going to try to hurt me? Yeah. And that, that, that seems basic. But when you're in the moment, mm-hmm. I think a lot of the stratagem gets kind of lost. Like... You're just trying to survive in the moment. And I don't mean literally survive. I mean, sometimes maybe. Yeah. But you're just trying to survive the moment. Right. And you don't think, you're not ticking off check marks. Oh, they're trying to hurt me. Not even inadvertent. I mean, if they're telling you're going to burn in fucking hell. That's hurtful. That's a red flag, man. Yeah. And sometimes you don't register, register those mm-hmm. as red flags. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, awesome. I think that also for Jason. Yeah. Is some strategy. Yeah. Is are are some tactics uh, tactics to use. It's beautiful. So thank you Aaron, we appreciate it very much and uh, maybe you should listen more. Be a good time for you. Yeah. Cuz we want to hear from you more. Absolutely. We do want you to find another reason to call in. Please. We, we should be programmed into your phone. Yeah, please find another reason. Everyone out there, we should be programmed into your phone. 6574647609. One more time in the radio way, 657-464-7609. Everybody, good times had by all. You can also email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. All right, we have one final call on the topic. Hey, Jesse, Brittany, this is Chris. <clears throat> Since my last couple uh, call-ins have been unhinged Trumpian-like rants, I hope this was a little bit more thoughtful. Wanted to kind of talk a little bit about the comment and, and the converse, preceding conversation you guys had uh, from uh, Marissa. I, I, you know, I'm really kind of I'm, I'm torn here. I, I agree wholeheartedly with Marissa, but I also think there's I also think there's validity in what you say too about being a little bit more patient, changing hearts and minds with conversation. My problem is, and, and full disclosure, I yield more to the cut them off. Isolate them. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's horrifically easy for me to take that stance and, and, and that's a whole other subject and self-reflection therapy. Anyway, I, but I feel like we're in such a precipice right now. Like we are, we're in a danger or I feel like there's a danger of, of humanity kind of shifting to where we're not seeing each other as, as kind of individuals and, and as con, global consciousness and greater good, we're kind of more, we're really stuck in this tribalism. And, and I feel like we don't have the time to change hearts and minds. And I feel like a lot of these people, they're not going to have their hearts and minds just because they're so entrenched in spite of so much evidence and, and, and rationality in, in their views. So it, it kind of goes along in this, it's not good enough to not be racist, you have to be anti-racist. And, and I'm almost kind of, I'm of the yoke that when you're not actively taking stands against that, pointing it out, uh, whether harshly or not, you are complicit. And and I feel like at, at this point, compli- we're not just complicity in white supremacy, we're complicit in murder, uh, 
horrific events, and, and it's, uh, it's alarming to me. I'm not saying that it's the right way to go, but I do think it's, it's, there's a lot of nuance, and, and it's, a, it's a scary time. And, and what way is going to get us our humanity back? Thanks. Yeah, I, I agree more with that than I disagree with it, I can tell you that. Um, in the time of Trump, it is different. These aren't normal political times. I mean, if you're cutting people off fucking forever and fuck you because they voted for John McCain or they're a John Kasich supporter or Jeb Bush or whoever, like no normal run-of-the-mill Republican who just has shitty ideas, ah, that's, that's different than if you're a Trump supporter because Trump is cut from a different cloth. Trump is different. Trump is a white supremacist in the White House. They just released a 2020 ad today, and they took imagery, iconography, symbols from V-Dare, which is a white supremacist publication. And I don't mean like, oh, they, yeah, they're kind of, they're, you know, they're kind of racist. They're just conservative. V-Dare is absolutely a white nationalist white supremacist like Richard Spencer type of organization. And Donald Trump is using their red, white, and blue um, lion head in his ad. That's the kind of white supremacist I'm talking about here. Jeb Bush would never fucking dream of doing something like that. John Kasich, the late John McCain, or a host, even Paul Ryan, for all his fucking bowing down and being a servile dog to Donald Trump, would never do that. So we do live in a different time. Different rules do apply. Thanks for the call, Chris. <laughs> I, or do you have something to say? Sorry. It just, that ended very abruptly. Um, I, I, yeah, I still... Because I, I just, I don't know, I guess, what the point is then, you know, so. But it is case by case. Yeah, I but, mean, but, but what are we trying to do then, right? So if, if everyone's a lost cause. I didn't say lost no, cause. But that's what Chris made everything sound like, right? That if if you aren't convinced by now, you know, what, God, what I, are you going to do? So what are we supposed to do then? I mean. I don't know. I think attrition. Just the lifespan of people <laughs> will take care of this. Okay. Yeah. I, it, you, you can't just say it's that easy. It, it's for sure a tough situation where we've got it, now a generation. I'm, I wasn't saying anything was easy. I'm no, asking, no, I know, I know. I'm asking then where are we left, right? Because it's then we're just on the different teams and that's that and i mean well like I, that's the end of well, it well i think we're gonna have to wait and see i think once trump's out of there we're gonna see things normalize because there won't be a cult figure on the right like there is now and this unwashed um donald trump donald trump Baby. You know, that guy isn't going to be politically active anymore because he doesn't feel impassioned. He doesn't feel emboldened to talk about white genocide and how he hates blacks and immigrants because Donald Trump will be gone. Yeah, I also think you 
Well, I, I don't know how to explain how you're remembering things, because um, there are liberals who have come out now, like Bill Maher, and said, wow, why was I talking like that about George Bush? Wow, why yeah, yeah, was but, I acting like that? Yeah, right? but I never have. Right. So that's why I'm having a difficult time where you're distinguishing between people weren't cutting off their family members because of John McCain. You know, there probably were people that were cutting off their family members when George Bush was president, if they uh, voted for John McCain, you know. Maybe, but not like it. It wasn't like it is now. Uh, Politics have always been dividing. Absolutely. That's fair. But you made it seem like that likely was not the case at all. That's what I took no, from your no, comments. What I'm, what I, yeah, you, maybe I'm communicating poorly. What I'm saying is that the the root causes, the catalysts for 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 cutting people off, the motivations for doing so under Trump are more urgent than they were under like a McCain guy, because under McCain it would have been like oh, welfare policy or. Or, you know, entitlement spending, military spending. We're not talking about that under Trump because the other things, human rights, uh, fascism, they, they floated to the top. Look, the Republican Party I've come to grips with uh, just recently is absolutely a movement of white supremacy. and But it's different under Trump. It just is, it's more in your fucking face. It's more organized. It's more insipid, you know? So there are people that would even push back on that, right? Um, you're, you're acknowledging that white supremacy has always been a part of the Republican Party, but yeah. that it wasn't always as apparent. And there, when the, the recent news broke with Reagan and the monkeys quote, there were many noted black scholars that wrote op-eds and articles about how this was always apparent. And why are people only now acting surprised? And so is it a matter of people are becoming more educated about what racism is, what it looks like, about what discrimination is, about what oppression looks like? Um, I don't know about everybody else. That's what's happening with me. Or are we like learning to accept our own biases and check ourselves a little bit more because that is like the focus. Yeah, that, that's happened with me too. So I don't, <laughs> I don't know what it is, yeah. right? But even your ability to, to shift your political views at an age where many people are believed to not change their political views, right? Once they're there, they're hardened. Okay. Um, that's why I push back on it because it feels very hopeless to me when we start going down this path of, listen, if you don't get it by now, I don't, I don't know what, what's the plan for you, you know? And it's like, who knows what's going to push somebody over the edge? I don't know. But political partisanship is so powerful and people feel like their team is losing, right? Um, so there's a lot of things that go into this and motivate it and, I just get concerned when we start saying, like, there's no hope to change anybody, you know? Yeah, listen, I'm, um, you know, we have, we have conversations off mic a lot about how we communicate on the show. And I never want to be the guy to give direct advice about, yeah, cut them the fuck off, you blah, 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 blah. I don't want to be that. 
I don't want to put my my interpretation and my way of doing things on people. I don't really want to suggest it like it's the way to do it. Because it not might not be that way for you. You might be able to change someone. You might be wired a different way than me, as I've been saying. This is also why we like to ask that question that we can't fucking remember to ask at the end of our bonus episodes. Um, is what what's the last thing you changed your mind about? Yes. And I think we add in why. If we don't, we should. Yeah, well, what we need to do is start asking it in advance so they're prepared. Yeah, so, so it's, it's not, not like, yeah. I like baloney now and <laughs> it used to bum me out. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. No offense to the person who answered like that. I don't think I don't someone who said baloney. Mm, they said something like that. Oh, right. So anyway, <laughs> listen, we, we, we value all of this feedback. It's important. In fact, it's so important that we've allowed the last three or so episodes to be consumed by the conversation. Well, the the community at large needs this, right? This is a topic yeah. that's happening, especially with the holidays getting ready to come back around. Yeah. And people are thinking about, oh, my God. I mean, it's election season, the holidays. You know, it's a recipe for disaster. So this is really on people's minds right now. And they're wondering, how do I navigate this? And at least from hearing people from all over the world, right, we had all over the world represented on the podcast today, um, you get to hear some different perspectives and hopefully maybe take some of their advice and it will help you have a more calm and relaxing holiday familial experience. Yes. (laughs) All right. Well, we're going to move on. Let's drop the phone number one more time. We'd love to hear from you. Even about this, even if we continue this topic, if you've got new and fresh ideas that you haven't heard, We want to represent them. We want your voice to be able to be heard on a global level here. We're giving you a platform to talk about the way that you handle this. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Democracy facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So we want to start by talking about the upcoming debate because all of the candidates who were in the running, uh, the ones that made the criteria are in, the ones who did not meet the meet the criteria are out, and some are out, out, out. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so first of all, the debate. Only one this time. Yeah. Uh, it will be held in Houston on September 12th from 8 to 11 p.m. Eastern time. And it is going to be broadcast on ABC. The mod- 8 to 11? Yeah. Three hours. Yes. Wow, man. Come on, bro. And <laughs> the moderators... You're a fucking doctor, bro. The moderators are going to be George Stephanopoulos, David Muir, Lindsay Davis, and Jorge Ramos. Mm-hmm. So, the... It's the ABC crew. Yes. You already um, said ABC? Yes, right. I did. Thank you. And Univision. So, the qualification requirements, you needed 130,000 individual donors... And you needed to receive 2% support in at least four qualifying polls. And that narrowed the field down to 10. Yeah. 2% is all you needed in four separate polls. Yeah. Uh, I mean, come on. I, I say that because Tulsi Gabbard is whining like a guy who whines a lot. Mm-hmm. And like a laid who whines. Yeah, a lot. like a laid. You know, guys, you know, it's for me, it's. Yeah. So I say, come on, man. I say that to everybody. All right. Okay. 
All so right. these are the Get candidates. Shut up. That's what it sounds Here like. Here we everybody. go. Time to be quiet. So <laughs> for, <laughs> former Vice President Joseph R. Biden Jr. Why do they do that? I don't know. He's the only one they do that with. Yeah. Senator Cory Booker. Like Joseph R. Biden Sr.'s fucking hanging around and we might confuse it for that guy. Of New Jersey. Mayor Pete Buttigieg of South Bend, Indiana. Julian Castro, the former housing secretary. Senator Kamala Harris of California. Senator Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota. I'm reading where they're from so that you have a reminder. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Former Representative Beto O'Rourke of Texas. So none of these people have middle initials or middle names is what I'm saying. Joseph R. Biden Jr. He's all official. Everybody else is just, hey, bro, come on in. Yeah. (laughs) Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont. His name's Bernard. Why are you not giving him the fucking respect? Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts. And Andrew Yang, a tech entrepreneur. He's not from a state. He's just a tech entrepreneur. So let's talk about who has dropped out. Um, Seth Moulton, Eric Swalwell. It's Seth, right? I only have the last names. Yeah, Seth. I think it's Seth R. Moulton. Uh, Former yeah. Marine, Bronze Star. Mm. Uh, John Hickenlooper yeah. and Jay Inslee. And John Hickenlooper right now. Oh, and now, Kristen Gillibrand. She just dropped out. Yeah. Hickenlooper, by the way, is going to run for Senate now in, in Colorado. Good. Which is what Beto should be doing. Yes. And which he's already said... Nope, not mm-hmm. doing that. Yeah. Not in the cards. I'm doing this. Well, and Tulsi Gabbard was asked if you do not get the, this is funny. I saw how, this today. They asked the question like this. If, if you know, on the rare chance that you don't end up getting the nomination, um, will you run as an independent? And she said no. She, she didn't just do the politician no. She said, nope, I'm not going to do that. Right. Yeah. That's not what I'm here for. So that's no. great. That's yeah, great. It's awesome. Yeah. I, although... I don't know, but I mean, actually, she might be able to do some damage. Yeah. I, I, Seems to me she's more popular than Jill Stein was. Yeah. And Jill Stein got over like a million votes. Yeah. So. Yeah. She she did some damage on the Hillary front. Yeah. For not, sure. not great. Not great. So that's where we are with the debate. That's going to be a good time. We'll for sure follow that. We will have an episode. Yep. Breaking it down. The three hour debate. That's in like two weeks, by yeah, the way. Yeah, man. See, there we go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. So is Earth, Wind, and Fire, by the way. Wow. Yep. Brittany Page. Mm-hmm. Jesse D. Yep. The Hollywood Bowl. Mm-hmm. For Earth, Wind, you, and Fire. For all you hate-listening terrorists out there. I know. Why are you giving our know. location? I well, they're going to be there two nights. You don't know when, so. <laughs> That's right. There we well, go. It's also not a private concert. There's going to be tens of thousands of people there. Listen, if you are planning to come to the concert to murder us, <laughs> if you have better seats than us, at least let us switch, and yeah, then you can kill, kill us, us afterwards. After yeah, the show, just let us right? see the show. Better seats because it is BYOB at yeah. the Hollywood Bowl. Yes, and yeah. we're bringing a picnic basket. We are. Yep. So just look for the people with the picnic basket. Okay, quit giving <laughs> identifiers. What the hell? Ugh. Speaking of what the hell, can I bitch about something for a minute? Haven't you been... How long has the show been? I don't Haven't, know. Over an hour. Yeah, you've been bitching this whole time. So, first of all, God bless Ruth Gator, Bader Ginsburg. Wow. Ruth Gator. What is happening to you? I raised my hand like I was praising Jesus, too. You really you see that? did. Yeah. It did not help you pronounce the name, though. No, it did not. Yeah. RBG... There you go. ...is just getting over another bout of cancer. Yes. She's a fucking superhero, by the way. Just incredible. How incredible. And we're going to play some sound about it. Some sound? 
some audio. Come on. What, what are you doing here? I can't wait to hear the sound. Wow. <laughs> uh, but can the news, can the news networks, I know this bothered you too. I, they, they lead you with, oh my God, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, cancer! So you click the button like, oh shit, our fucking republic is going to crumble. And she's okay. Right? Yeah, that's what they should lead with. Yeah, w- w- what is their problem? Is alive, safe, forever okay. Because she, I at this point, listen... There's a lot of conspiracy theories out there with oh nutterbutters my God, I swear. who say she's already dead. Well, I tweeted about it, like you said. I tweeted about the headlines. I yeah. took a screenshot of all of my headlines and the way that I would have wanted them presented, I tweeted about. And now I have all of these conspiracy theorist goofballs who believe she's dead. They're like, tweeting it, yeah? Yeah, like it's going to be some kind of weekend at Bernie's situation. Yeah, she's and, on wires. Yeah, no, and they're like, oh, yeah, she's making public appearances. That's like talking. Fake. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's it's terrifying, the replies. Yeah, come on, man. Like, they have Q in their profile. Their maybe, Q. maybe she's a robot. Maybe she's like one of those, the Japanese have really gotten the sex doll thing got, done well. And she's like animatronic or yeah, something. they've done the sex robots super well. Anyway, another bout of cancer, another way that she saved the United States of America. Breaking news now on Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. We are just now learning she has undergone uh, new treatment for cancer. So we don't have a lot of information right now. Let's go first to our Supreme Court uh, reporter, Ariane DeVogue. And Ariane, what do you know? Right. We've just gotten this statement from the court that said that she has completed uh, radiation therapy for uh, a tumor in her pancreas. It was uh, detected in early July. Uh, The court said uh, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg today completed a three-week course of uh, radiation therapy at Sloan Kettering. The focused radiation treatment began in August 5th and was administered on an outpatient uh, basis. Uh, She says that uh, she is continuing right now to be active the tumor was treated definitively, and there is no evidence of disease elsewhere in the body. Uh, Brooke, of course, this comes after she was diagnosed with lung cancer in 2018. That's all the information we have. And of course, it comes just a couple months before the new term is about to start. Okay, so Ariane, stand by. Elizabeth Cohen is with me. Um, and just, she's having watched RBG, our film, several times. You know, they tell the story of how she, she beat cancer twice. And then, as Ariane just pointed out, had the, the issue with her lung just more recently. Right, colon cancer, lung cancer, and now, and we're hearing, well, not for the first time about pancreatic cancer, but we're hearing this new news about her treatment, uh, this particular treatment for pancreatic cancer. You know, this is, this is obviously, um, news that you, uh, that you don't want to hear. It sounds as they said that this has been, uh, treated, and they use the word, um, def- uh, radiation treatment. They also use the term no evidence of disease, also known sometimes as, as NED. And, you know, that's a term, and it's difficult to say this, because when you hear no evidence of disease, you think, oh, it's gone. But, Brooke, the reality of this is that people can have NED, no evidence of disease, 
that just means at that point in time that you're looking, there is no evidence of disease. Unfortunately, especially with something like pancreatic cancer, mm -hmm. which can be so aggressive, then you look six months later and you do find it. So you want to you want to think about this in a sort of a very balanced way. You don't want to think something terrible, but on the other hand, you do want to realize that NED, no evidence of disease, that's what's going on right now. It doesn't say what's going to go on in the future. Okay. Ariane, back over to you. You know, this is... Uh this is an 86-year-old woman. A lot of people have been watching for her, praying for her health, you know, um, as, as onlookers are wondering, you know, how does this work? What, what might this mean for the court? Well, what's amazing about this is how active she has been and how forthcoming she has been with her cancers. Uh, the Supreme Court is starting a new term on October 4th. It's a big term with lots of blockbuster issues. Uh, last time around, the most recent bout of cancer, she did miss a staying on the bench uh, for the first time in her career. But she's been back. She's been back on the speaking tour. I want to read you a little bit more from the statement that we got sure. from the court. Uh, it says, the abnormality was first detected after a routine blood test in early July, and a biopsy performed on July 31st at Sloan Kettering confirmed a localized malignant tumor. So that's the information we got. Uh, again, uh, the Supreme Court uh, just issued this statement, and it comes as Ruth Bader Ginsburg has a full schedule this uh, summer. She was going on speaking tours, as she often does. Uh, the court did say that she is put off off her annual uh, vacation uh, that she takes in uh, Santa Fe, uh, but we'll have to see. It looks like uh, we'll get more information soon, but this is just in. So we are thankful to Ruth Bader Ginsburg for maintaining um, just immaculate physical health. She's a beast, man. And um, staying healthy and showing all the haters what's up. <laughs> That's what we call a sack lunch. Nom, 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 nom. <laughs> I think that fits. I think that one fits. I think that does. Do you, are you saying when I drop drops that they don't normally fit? Mm, sometimes you go a little drop crazy and then it doesn't work. But I do walk around saying that's a sack lunch um, fairly often wow. for a movie that came out like 15 years ago. You're the boss. Don't play that one. <laughs> I love how they're really indistinguishable from when you actually speak. <laughs> I'm not going to play another one. So, so anyway, th th that is super good news because yeah. she is really the last. It, it, she needs. We need her. Not she needs to do this, but we need Ruth Bader Ginsburg to hold out through 2020. Because if if Donald Trump gets another crack at this bench at putting a Supreme Court justice on this bench, it is going to fundamentally transform even more this nation than he already has just through the Supreme Court. Oh, yeah. We would be... I mean, honestly, this is this is not the time to mess around and be all foolish with third party votes. You know, this isn't this isn't really the time to have principles, you know, just kind of. Well, no, we need to ad adhere to our, our, our greatest principle, which is saving the union, getting rid of Donald Trump. I'm speaking more to the people who say that they can't go against certain principles that they have. They're not going to vote for the lesser of two evils, that kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Not and when you got the ultimate evil on the fucking table. Yeah, it's, we don't have time for that right now, so can you just just not think like that? Yeah. Don't vote for Joe Walsh. Don't 
in the primary, vote for a Republican because you want Donald Trump to lose the primary. That's not going to happen. Yeah. Like, just just stop. Vote in the primary. Vote for the Democrat you think is the best for the country. Take part in the process. Or if you want to just listen to us, toward the end, we're going to say who we're going to vote for. Mm-hmm. And then you can do that if you want to. I think that's weird. <laughs> but um and be out there, right? Yeah, get out there. Get do out some there, work. convince your friends who aren't registered to vote to vote. Show them how, take them with you, have a voting party, whatever it takes, get people out there with you. Because Donald Trump, as we speak, as the show is pretty much dedicated to, is a goddamn danger to this republic. We've had a guy on the show two different times. His name is Dr. Alan Francis. Mm-hmm. Brittany, the first time we had him on the show was, well, I think both times you were ecstatic about having him on the show. He's a big deal. He helped write the diagnostic, say what it is, the DSM-4. It, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Yes. And he was the chair of the task force that um, created the fourth revision of, of the DSM, the fourth fourth version. We're now on five, DSM-5. Um, but he is someone who is critical of expanding diagnoses. Um, he is critical of using medications um, the, the, the with the readiness that they get prescribed he, yeah he's not against using medications he's just like we're over medicating fucking people i mean i wasn't even halfway through the word before you interrupted me so i would have gotten there um he's, i don't know I, I i don't know that you would have he's critical of, i think i i have this unlocked okay he's, i'll finish go ahead he's critical <laughs> of medications when used too young i was so in such a rage that it, i didn't even hear what your correction was of me um critical of their use too young for young kids but also just how widespread they are at this point so I like him because he thinks differently. He also is very compassionate, very compassionate. Yeah, for sure. He leads with compassion, and you don't often see that in this field. <laughs> um, so I appreciate that about him. The reason that we've had him on um, both times is to talk about um, Donald Trump's mental health. And one of the things that Alan Francis is very critical of as well is diagnosing people from afar. And so he... Which, by the way, is... Unethical. Technically unethical. Right. So he doesn't like uh, the talk of diagnosing Donald Trump from afar. And this is a debate in the field. There are some professionals within the field of psychology, psychiatry, that are pro-diagnosis. They say something is wrong here. Okay, but Alan Francis is standing his ground with people who agree with him and saying, no, we cannot take this approach. And he has many different reasons for believing that. And he even wrote a book about it. Um, But Brian Stelter from CNN had him on this weekend to debate this issue. And Alan Francis actually kind of caused quite the ruckus because he um, said a line about how Donald Trump is responsible for more deaths than like Hitler. Uh We'll, we're going to talk about the very line, so yeah. we'll, we'll so, wait till so it comes up. So listen for it and try to listen for the context surrounding the comment. Because because conservative media went nuts when this happened, and Brian Stelter didn't push back. Well, I think that medicalizing politics has three very dire consequences. Hmm. The, the first is that it stigmatizes the mentally ill. I've known thousands of patients, almost all of them, 
have been well-behaved, well-mannered, good people. Trump is none of these. Lumping the mentally ill with Trump is a terrible insult to the mentally ill, and they have enough problems and stigma as it is. The second issue is that calling Trump crazy hides the fact that we're crazy for having elected him, and even crazier for allowing his crazy policies to persist. Trump is as destructive a person in this century as Hitler, Stalin, and Mao were in the last century. He may be responsible for many more million deaths than they were. He needs to be contained, but he needs to be contained by attacking his policies, not his person. It's crazy for us to be destroying the climate our children will live in. It's crazy to be giving tax cuts to the rich that will add trillions of dollars to the debt our children will have to pay. It's crazy to be destroying our democracy by claiming that the press and the courts are the enemy of the people. We have to face these policies, not Trump's person. Now, it's absolutely impossible. You can bet the House that the Congress, that Pence, that the Cabinet will never, ever remove Trump on grounds of mental unfitness. That will never happen. Discussing the issue in psychological name-calling terms distracts us from getting out the vote. So I, um, I don't necessarily agree with all of this. I love Dr. Francis. He's a hero of mine. Well, he's been on the show twice, so I really love him. <laughs> um, and because he shits on me. On the show. Yeah, I was lovingly referred to as Alan in my um, psychopathology class in grad school. Um, so I, I love him, have so much respect for him. He's the best. Um, I, I do think some of the arguments here were a little off. The reality is that there are some people with mental disorders who are violent, yeah. who are not awesome you know and so to say that lumping donald trump with all of these positive people that he knows you know it's come on i, I don't know that that's the best logical argument you know well also the fact that uh, listen and and i'm not talking as a clinician as you are i mean you're a clinician i'm not a clinician not you're not speaking as a clinician you're talking as a podcast host but uh it seems to me that there has been some decline and even cognitive decline. You can witness it from the day that he gave his speech as you roll your eyes until now. There's, it's a different Donald Trump because he's fucking old. It's going to happen as you get old that you decline. Your mental acuity starts to fail. It for sure is. I mean, but it, people try to pathologize it by saying that it's dementia. Like I, I see people that haven't read a book in 10 years talking about how he has dementia. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, well, yeah. well, we, can we all slow it down? Yeah, but also when, it doesn't mean they're wrong. If they're right, they're right because they just happened upon it. It doesn't mean they, they're, they're making an educated decision about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love that. Let's have everyone just espouse their opinions on Twitter and hopefully they someday they happen to be correct. They stumble into the right one every once in a while. Absolutely. That's what Twitter's for. But we also have a litany of individuals who are not people who haven't read a book in 10 years who are saying there's a fucking problem here. Yes. But anyway, I would like to respond to your comment because you sent me a video today with a comparison of his first campaign 
speech or whatever and like his current campaign speech Yeah, from today when they unfurled the fucking space force flag yeah and there needs to be some credit given to um cognitive load right and they talk about cognitive load in research surrounding like the effects of poverty you know when people are under a lot of stress and they have a lot to worry about like paying bills oh that th- you do have a like a floating iq kind of like the more fucking stressed out you are the dumber you are. I'm saying that as a your dumb IQ, guy. Your IQ, actually, yeah, your IQ is reduced when your cognitive load is very high because you have so much to worry about yeah. that it's difficult to keep track of everything it's else. Like it's like a bandwidth issue. Yeah, it's difficult to plan in advance. It's it's difficult to think about anything else than what's going on in that current moment. And so I think some of what you're seeing in that comparison could be that. You know, I don't know, though. Again, we don't want to do this from afar. Um, Listen, from your perspective as a professional in the mental health field, it is unethical. Like it's written down. This is this. It's unethical to make a diagnosis, not sitting across from the person and talking to them. You can't do it from TV. He might be just fucking playing a character. Yes. But. This line in particular is what really got him in hot water, where he talked about the millions of deaths. Trump is as destructive a person in this century as Hitler, Stalin and Mao were in the last century. He may be responsible for many more million deaths than they were. He needs to be contained, but he needs to be contained by attacking his policies, not his person. It's crazy for us to be destroying the climate our children will live in. So... Dr. Francis elaborated on Twitter, saying that he was referring to the future death toll from climate change. Clearly, that's what he was doing. As a result of Donald Trump's policies. Quote, terrible damage Trump is doing to the world climate at this global warming tipping point may be irreversible slash could kill hundreds of millions of people in the coming decades. Many of them are children and grandchildren and their children. This is an existential crisis for humanity. He clearly fucking clearly was saying that in the clip and this entire outrage that happens every weekend on twitter related to the fucking uh the the uh the the, the comment class on these sunday shows is just ridiculous because i'm gonna play just what he said not leading out into the the the, 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 the climate change thing but listen to what he says he may be responsible trump is as destructive a person in this century as Hitler, Stalin, and Mao were in the last century. He may be responsible for many more million deaths than they were. He may be responsible because of his, not just inaction on climate change, but going the other direction. That's clearly what he's fucking talking about here. Well, PolitiFact did a fact check on this and gave Alan Francis the pants on fire rating. Of course, fucking idiots. Well, and they interviewed two uh, professors, one a historian and the other a professor of earth system science the professor at stanford of earth system science said quote much as i abhor trump's climate policies calling him hitler seems inappropriate to me trump's climate and environmental policies are destructive calling him hitler though is a distraction it helps him marginalize criticism 
The historian from Hunter College said, quote... That was a climate guy who said that? Right. Who fucking cares? What you need to be doing, climate guy, is doing an analysis of how many people could fucking die. Because if we only have 12 years to get our shit together, and we're not doing it, and Donald Trump gets elected again, what the fuck could be the damage? That's what you're there for. Not to, I abhor his policies, but to compare him to Hitler. Shut the fuck up and do what you're asked to do. So the non-climate guy said, quote, Francis's statement is shockingly stupid and uninformed for someone with a respectable and responsible position. That's all he said. (laughs) This is what they based pants on fire with. Well, it's part of it. We should try to get Alan Francis back on the doctor on. Mm -hmm. Not like he needs this platform. He's going on CNN and getting himself in trouble. He's not going to get himself out of trouble by coming on with us. Oh, it'll fix everything. (laughs) Problem solved. But anyway, this is where we are right now with Donald Trump. He is fucking different. Whether it be acting out as a way to pander to his conservative, alt-right, white supremacist, insane, unwashed, uneducated base. Maybe that's it. Or maybe he's losing it. But he's not He's not appealing to the middle. He's not trying to, to widen the base. He's trying to appeal to that 35% that will never let him go. Chris Cuomo the other day After the G7 nonsense, when Donald Trump promised that he was going to have or floated the idea that he was going to have the G7 next year at his Doral Resort, Trump National in Miami, the Doral, you know, the Blue Monster, this famous golf course, he's going to have it there where he'll make millions and millions of dollars from room and food and all of the arrangements from every nation that shows up with all of their security and all of their staff. He's going to make millions of dollars off that if he doesn't. Chris Cuomo from CNN, who is getting on my last fucking nerve, by the way, by having every Trump idiot on his show as though it's legitimate journalism. He had a great segment on his show talking about uh, Donald Trump's claims of genius and why it's dangerous, why it's not just him. Oh, I'm a fucking smart guy. I'm a very stable genius. I went to Wharton School of Finance. I'm fucking super smart. He talks about just how damaging it is and brings attention to it. And in the beginning of it, he talks about a moment where Donald Trump uh, gave a lie about being a genius on climate change. No one knows more about the climate than me. (laughs) Yeah, because no one knows more about the climate the science of climatology than Donald Trump. But he skipped a meeting, the climate change portion of the G7, and said, I was having meetings with these other people, but it was a lie because those other people were actually at the climate change meeting. Anyway, he takes this apart. I think it's valuable to listen to. If you don't want to go to the meeting, don't go. But don't give an excuse that you were meeting with two people who were at the meeting that you didn't go to and you said you couldn't go because you were with them. It's lying. Don't do it. Now, this president is regularly selling himself as something that he is not. All right. Which is an honest to goodness expert. 
Listen to this today. I think I know more about the environment than most people. Really? It is a true deluge of delusions. I know more about ISIS than the generals do, believe me. I know more about courts than any human being on earth. Nobody knows more about trade than me. I know more about steel workers than anybody that's ever run for office. Nobody, Nobody knows, knows more, more about, about construction, construction than I do. I know more about drones than anybody. Look, if it were just bragging or a wink at hyperbole, okay. But this president acts on his perverse notions in ways that could hurt this country. And arguably, that's what this election will be about. Like what? All right, let's start small. His genius tells him it's okay to make money off the presidency. He wants to hold the next G7 summit at one of his golf clubs. Seriously? His genius led him to say that global warming is a hoax that China created, and then to reportedly suggest nuking hurricanes. Think about that. This president reportedly thought it was a good idea to set off nuclear bombs to combat extreme weather. Is that genius? Then he says he is a legal genius, also suspect. The Washington Post counted. Federal judges have ruled against this White House more than 60 times in just the past two years on everything from the environment to immigration. He's made deregulation part of his sell to the American people. He's only won 6% of the cases involving agency regulations. Other presidents, they went about 70% of the time. More genius. Bring Russia back into the G7 or G8 if they're involved. Putin fires rockets. That's what you're seeing on your screen right now. This was during the G7 summit. He fires them near the NATO border. Okay? That's who he is. That's what he's about. But our president praises Putin, says he's better than Obama, and then botches how Russia got ousted in the first place from the G7. Annexing Crimea is what get them kicked out by a majority. President Obama didn't do it. By the way, Russia still holds Crimea today. And oh, yeah, is trying to infiltrate our democracy. And this president praises him. That's genius. He released Iran from the only controls that the world had on them. He gifted North Korea's despot with legitimacy. Then said the first lady has gotten to know this guy well. They've never even met. He started a trade war with China that now has CEOs reportedly dumping their own stocks. As market fears grow, farmers are feeling the pain. He says it's all part of how he negotiates. Please remember, he went bankrupt a lot and most often was negotiating with creditors in busted businesses. You would know where his money comes from if he would show you his taxes. But that type of hiding is apparently part of his genius. And where is the genius in saying things that make the hateful happy? His people swear we've got him wrong about seeing good people on both sides in Charlottesville. He didn't mean that. He condemns white supremacists. Well, you know who else doesn't get it? These guys. This is from a KKK rally in North Carolina. They're carrying a banner that says, help make America great again. You don't see any Obama signs there, do you? You don't see, let's get after it on any of the signs, do you? Diversity is strength. Why are they using his slogan and writing in support of him online? Bottom line. Telling someone you're a genius doesn't make you ingenious. In fact, it probably suggests the opposite. But would a genius lie in such easily discoverable ways? Would genius convince you that America is best unified by pushing the poison of division 
emboldening those who want to see the world in terms of us and them, exclusion over inclusion, as who is less than, and that there's nothing more righteous than indignation. But there is a bad fact against my argument. This president has exhibited what might be fairly assessed as near genius by pulling off an amazing feat of politics. He sold himself to legitimately disaffected voters, many of them were white, middle class, angry at the moneyed class and their perverse plays for power. And I have never seen someone who is guilty of exactly what outrages the same people winds up accepted as a champion for them. And yet in this context, as a leader, I don't think that's genius because I think true genius would be defined as that application of intelligence that promotes a society's virtues, that enlightens, elevates, appeals to our better angels, not to bring out the devil in us all. And that is exactly what Donald Trump does on a daily basis. Not not in us all, I think. But certainly in those who who have an ear to listen. Certainly in those who have a proclivity for a lacking of empathy. For those who believe that the the immigration stance of of this administration, which on the whole is unlike anything we've seen since maybe the 1950s with Eisenhower and Operation Wetback, This is different. Obama deported a whole bunch of people. Absolutely. But on the whole, the motivations behind the policy weren't like they are with Donald Trump. It's just different. And I don't know if Cuomo here is making a case that Some of this is because Donald Trump thinks he's a genius and because he's so dumb and don't kid yourself, he is fucking dumb. Because he's so dumb, it just goes awry. Or if there, or if he, maybe he's so stupid that he allows these malign actors around him like Stephen Miller, like Steve Bannon. These terrible characters who put into place policies that are damaging for human beings all across the globe. Denying climate change. Putting Rick Perry in charge of the fucking EPA. I mean, come on. Well, the thing or about- the- the, the energy department. The thing about Donald Trump is that he thinks he's a strong man, but everyone knows he's not. And even he knows that he's not, right? He just tries to put out that image. Yeah. And anyone can have sway with him if they praise him or if they show him kindness look at macron if they massage his ego that's all it takes and everyone knows it and it's very tragic when you're one of those people you know because you are weak if that's all it takes absolutely where people have to you know walk on eggshells around you and can only praise you because if they do anything else then you're going to be cast out you know i'm sure people know people like this personally. (laughs) Um, And you can tell when you have someone like that on your hands. Donald Trump is one of those people. And you can easily get to him if you just compliment him. That's all it takes. So it's very sad because Donald Trump knows he's not a genius. 
but he puts that image out there because he thinks it's convincing to people. And, and it is convincing to some people. He's insecure about the fact that he's not a genius. Absolutely. It, it's all born out of just wild, rampant insecurity. So it's kind of sad. Although, whatever. Um, not when you balance it, uh, balance it against the quotient of sorrow that he's created. Absolutely. In the world. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I'm like, it's sad. But, yeah. You know, well, fuck that guy. It's more sad <laughs> for the people that you know personally that are like this. Yeah. Um, but. Who have no power to to hurt, to strip away children from their parents. Yeah. Who, who will never see their parents again. Right. Yeah. For them, yeah, it's sad. For Donald Trump, fuck that guy. Mm-hmm. And this guy. Donald Trump, baby! Unless that guy's your uncle, and then, you know, you've got to d- decide whether you want to, you know, <laughs> maintain that relationship. Back to, we're, we're circling around. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? He probably is someone's uncle. Oh, that guy's for sure somebody's uncle. Oh, God. Any Hillary bitch? I wish I had the full clip because I just, I shortened it. You don't need the whole, you don't need it. Oh, Trump, baby! We get it. Just like this is somebody's aunt. She's not a Christian! (laughs) Anyway, we're going to leave you there. We would love your feedback on this over hour and 40 minute episode. Or at least it will be when it ends here. Super show. It's a super show. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we like to do super shows when there's only going to be one of them in the week. And this is one where there's only going to be one in the week. Which, again, has not happened a lot, you guys. Well, that's not why we were. I I don't know that. Maybe that is why we talked about trying it. Trying to butter everybody up. But it, it's it, we're getting ready to go back into a normal schedule where Jesse Dollimore doesn't have grand jury every fucking Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Did you side glance because I used the third person? Yeah, All sure right. did. So when I don't have, I'm important enough now. Uh, <laughs> oh my god! Uh, if only I could feign that kind of. Uh, Ego. Mm-hmm. I can't even do it. Yeah. Can't even do it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we're going to be back next week. Two episodes. going to be a good time. We love you guys. We appreciate you. Uh, listen, if you're a Patreon supporter, we expect that you've lasted this long in the episode because you are a Patreon supporter. Friday night, Saturday morning. Those are the days for the Patreon calls. We'd love to see you. Come and hang out. If you've never been on a Patreon call, they're a good time. We don't just talk about the weather, although eh, it happens. We'd love to see you. We'd also love to hear from you about this episode or any other. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We love you guys. We appreciate your loyalty and your support of the show on Patreon. And we'll see you next time. For Brittany Page... I'm Jesse Dollimore, and this has been I Doubt It. You're a fucking doctor, bro. (laughs) 